This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you along with Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we have a lot of topics to cover, including a a new Hall of Famer, a a multiple-time Hall of Famer. We're going to get to that in just a moment as we start things off. (laughs) Also, an unbelievable performance in St. Louis, 11 points in 28 seconds. Uh, We'll tell you who and, and how he did it. And some sad news as well with the passing of a North Carolina great. Chris, what's going on, man? Uh, you know, just the usual stuff, uh, enjoying a lot of basketball. And, and I, I guess it, it is a fitting day that we're recording this podcast. Am I right? You're right. Today is World Basketball Day. And I, I didn't even know that this was World Basketball Today until about 15 I, minutes I ago. I got to admit, until you told me, I, <laughs> I didn't know. But uh, it makes you wonder uh, what the good doctor, Naismith, uh, uh, if he could look back on his creation when he hung that first peach basket, thinking, wow, they've, they've made a day for this little activity so my football players could stay in shape during the winter. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it was designated by the United Nations. It's the anniversary of the day the game was first played back in 1891. I just saw all this on the uh, NCAA March Madness uh, Twitter page a few minutes ago. But, yeah, shout out That's to cool. Dr. Naismith and his game that we all yeah. love and enjoy. So uh, happy World Basketball Day as we begin our podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad of one thing, that they cut the bottom out of the peach basket <laughs> it's, it's made the game flow a little bit better hasn't it <laughs> yeah. if you had to get the ladder every time uh no i tell you it's amazing uh that, that old cliche necessity is the mother of invention and he literally did create the game as a pastime in the winter so other athletes could stay in shape and i don't think he had any idea what it would become i, I think the soccer fans will or, or, or should I say football fans would would hate me for this, but I think because of the NBA's popularity and because of their efforts and, and basketball without borders and a lot of the NBA uh, camps that, that are all over the world, I think it's become the world game. I really do. I, I am biased. I'm going to say that. but uh, And probably more people, uh, I don't know, per capita, are soccer fans, but I, I think basketball has is, is become like the hot game. Uh, and it's fitting that it gets a day. And uh, I just, you know, Dr. Naismith knew what he was doing. I have some representatives from FIFA on the uh, on line one over here. If you'd like to take <laughs> yeah, yeah, their call, like, <laughs> okay. but it's pretty amazing though what the game has become globally. It really has uh, so popular yeah. all over the world, and I think you've you've seen that come to life with some of the results in international competition. Um, I, I felt like for years that the United States should never ever lose to anybody in basketball. We invented the game. Right. We have the the bulk of the world's greatest players, but. You've seen that gap closed, and you've seen the United States uh, have its struggles at times in the Olympics or other international competitions, and that just shows you uh, how popular the game has become and how many good players there are all over the world. So, uh, it's, it's exactly right. Yeah. And what the irony of that is it's they are using uh, our coaching against us because we've had coaches go over there and do clinics, teach them the basics, uh, where some of us have strayed away from the basics here and the fundamentals of passing, dribbling, and, and and good shot selection, it's paramount importance overseas. So uh, it's incredible to me. When I was writing a column, I think I did this for a decade, for NBA.com on the draft, uh, the editor, my editor told me that 
the NBA.com was the most visited professional uh, uh, website, professional sports website in the world. So, and he said it wasn't even close. So I don't know if that means anything. It probably doesn't. But uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is basketball deserves a day, darn it. <laughs> well, today is and a I'm day. I'm glad to know this is the day. A great addition to the holiday season. Well, Chris, yes, Chris yes, Dorch. We should start giving gifts. Uh, my buddy Chris Dorch, uh, he's of course read all over the world with his uh, his draft coverage, but he's uh, his blue ribbon yearbook and his work uh, newspapers and and just years and years of great coverage of college basketball has led him to be selected to another very prestigious Hall of Fame. He is part of this year's class for the U.S. Basketball Writers Association Hall of Fame to be inducted in April at the Final Four in Arizona. Chris, I know this one means a lot to you. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Uh, we joke about it being about time, but, Dan, that is, that's fantastic news. Well, I appreciate it, brother. I really do. I, I, it's funny. When, when uh, Brendan Quinn, who's the president, and Malcolm Moran, who's the executive director, called me, I think they were kind of laughing at at my reaction about how excited I was. I'm, I'm glad it wasn't a FaceTime because they'd have seen me dancing and fist pumping. <laughs> but I later found out the the previous uh, honoree that they called just before me, kind of a, a, a pleasant curmudgeon, if you will, uh, they told him and he said, yeah, okay, why? <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, yeah, this is a, yeah, this is awesome. This is great. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my career. And they were just kind of giggling, you know, and, and, and they later said it, that just really pleased us, your reaction. And I don't know, it, it means a lot because I think I've always known what I wanted to be. I wanted to cover sports. And as basketball took over baseball as my favorite sport, I knew that, I wanted to write about basketball and my very first job in the business uh, at a newspaper in Kingsport, Tennessee, the, that, that's a city that borders Virginia and Tennessee. So my boss, I don't think he liked me very much, but he thought he was punishing me by sending me to a high school game literally every night of the week, Monday through Friday. It wasn't just Tuesdays and Fridays because we had two states. And little did he know that he was helping me build a career that would eventually end up in the USBWA Hall of Fame because I watched those games, I studied those games, I got to know those coaches, I talked basketball with those coaches. And then when I gravitated toward college coverage and like I said, dabbling a little bit with the NBA, I was ready, I was ready. And I was a sponge, I always loved basketball as a kid and I wanted to learn more and more one of the coolest things that anybody has said was a former assistant at Tennessee. He told me that he congratulated me and he said, you know, and I, I, I thanked him for all the, the insider knowledge that he had passed on. And he said, well, you know, when I was talking to you, it was like talking to a coach. And I thought, dang, that's the nicest thing anybody has yet said about this. And so, um, I'm thrilled. Uh, I think it's a validation of a career that, uh, I don't know, I think it was chosen for me. I, I knew before I knew that, that our, it was sort of just predestined that I would cover sports. Well, 
super happy for you and and again well deserved and congratulations uh you of course were inducted in the uh, tennessee sports writers hall of fame not long ago you're in uh and more than just those two but uh that yeah, i know that yeah but i know that's a really big one for you and uh the others that'll be inducted in your class bob baptist donna de i hope i'm saying her name right and terry hutchins right so congratulations to everybody and that will be at the final four in april uh out in phoenix so that's gonna be really cool yeah i'm looking forward to that uh, uh I think it'll be a, a great presentation and they always give the other awards out there too. So there'll be some great coaches and other deserving young writers. And so it's, it's going to be the thrill literally of a lifetime for me. Uh, in the present day and time talking basketball, only three unbeaten teams left around the country, Houston, James Madison, and Ole Miss. Uh, we've seen some of the others, uh, suffer that first loss because at times we've had teams that were undefeated playing one another as you look at those three which is the one you think is the most likely to to make it the farthest without uh, any sort of blemish on the resume boy that's a good one um i think uh, uh, houston just lost a key player he, he wasn't a starter but he was in their uh rotation uh terrence arsenault I don't know how much that will affect uh, Houston's rotation. Uh, by contrast, Ole Miss just gained two big players because of that court ruling, which I will probably talk about. Uh, Musa, well, Musa was had already been given us immediate eligibility. He's a shot blocker from Oklahoma State, fits right into that system. But Brandon Murray, the Georgetown transfer, had resigned himself to sitting out because he'd also started out at LSU, but now he's eligible. And this is a guy that in the preseason, uh, Chris uh, Beard, uh, the Ole Miss coach, told me he thought he's a pro. And, you know, he's a 6'5", do-it-all guy. He's already averaging 16 minutes a game in the two games he's played. So they immediately put him into the rotation, even though they were undefeated. And then you got James Madison, uh, who I think would have to be considered the surprise team uh, in the country. They're undefeated. Their schedule hasn't been awesome, although they did win in overtime at Michigan State and in double overtime at Kent State to start the season. So uh, in answer to your question, I know that's a long answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to say that the last one standing will be uh, James Madison, and uh, just looking here, uh, where they might lose, it, I can't even see it. Uh, they play at Old Dominion on Wednesday, January 24th, maybe. They play at Louisiana on the 4th of January, but Louisiana, which I think won the league last year, isn't quite as good as it was a year ago. So I think James Madison might be the last one standing, uh, but Ole Miss uh, – Ole Miss hasn't played a tough schedule either. We'll really see how good they are on Saturday, January 6th, when they play at Tennessee. Well, the, it's so hard to go very far into a season undefeated. And, and I've said for years, I, I just don't think it can be done that any team will ever win a championship with an undefeated squad. And Gonzaga came pretty close a couple of years ago. Uh, but, yeah, these are the only ones that are uh, left. 
for this uh, 23-24 season, Houston and James Madison and Ole Miss. Looking at some of the results, uh, there have been some mild upsets this week uh, as we record this on Thursday. On Wednesday night, Seton Hall beat number 5 UConn 75-60, number 21 Duke over 10th ranked Baylor 78-70. Don't know that that was a huge upset. Nor was North Carolina beating Oklahoma. Both those teams ranked in, in the top 11, 81-69 in Charlotte. Sooners made a late run and, and the Tar Heels turned them away. Villanova beat Creighton in overtime. Uh, Villanova unranked Creighton number 12, 68-66 the final there. On Tuesday you had Providence knocking off Marquette 72-57. You had Memphis hammering Virginia 77-54. But back to that UConn loss uh, it also included an ankle injury uh, to their center, Donovan Klingon, in the second half. And Coach Danny Hurley said today's video session would be brutal. That doesn't sound like a whole <laughs> lot of fun. They lost in one of those uh, Big East rock fights with, with the Pirates. I saw that. He, he said uh, that quote also included this. Just really stunned by how unprepared I had these guys for a tough physical conference game. So, uh uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. The, the thing I worry about is, is, is Klingon. If, if that was a high ankle sprain, as you know, you've been around the game long enough, versus a low ankle sprain, it could be a couple of weeks yeah. or more for for Klingon. And, and he's definitely uh, – he's a pressure release valve, man. Uh, when, when their shooters are covered, they just toss it down there to him. And he's an excellent big man. So, yeah, I wonder, Jay Williams of ESPN had, had been saying for the last couple of weeks he thought UConn was actually the best team in the country. And, uh, you know, that's open for debate now. Uh, uh, I, I don't know who it is. Some people think Purdue, if their guards are going to shoot the ball the way they did when they upended Arizona, both of them scored more than 20. They're just sophomores. Uh, if those guys are going to play anywhere close to that level, I think – uh, Purdue might be your team and we might see a reprise of uh, the year when Virginia won it all after losing as a 16th seed the year before uh, Purdue did that last year and and now I think they're they're a little bit on a mission those guards have got to shoot it well yeah they didn't do it last year when when they fell uh, to Fairleigh Dickinson but they sure did against Arizona and if they're anywhere close to that level the rest of the way out They'll be super tough because Zach Eady is just – he's a weapon that, you know, you could say, well, Hunter Dickinson and, and a couple of others, but Zach Eady is a weapon that people just don't have. Uh, he's just a mountain of a man, and and he's mobile too. So uh, I, I'm thinking Purdue right now, but that could change as soon as they really – I know they've already played a couple of Big Ten games, but – that could change quickly when you get in that rock fight of a league, uh, the Big Ten. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Purdue's moved back up to the top spot. It's Purdue and Kansas, Houston, Arizona, and UConn, top five in the AP poll, and that'll probably change. Uh, then Marquette, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Baylor. Those are the top ten, and there will be some shifting with, with this week's results. But, yeah, you, you look at the rankings. They say one thing. When we talk about the teams really are the best, uh, that, that's an interesting debate. In, yeah. in, in my eyes, and, and I've seen a little bit of everybody – I think Kansas might be the one for me. Hunter Dickinson is such a difference maker for that team. But you know, you got Kevin McCullough is averaging 19 a game, and Hunter Dickinson's averaging 19 and 12. And they just have some veteran players and made some good additions to their team. Uh, they, then they were really good to begin with. What about teams that maybe have the most upside? I almost put UConn in that category. In that they're probably not as good as they're going to be in a few weeks. 
you got to almost put Kentucky in there because they've added a piece or two as we've gone along, and their freshmen have played really well. And, and, and it feels like by the time the tournament gets here, they, they could be one of the top seeds. And I'm also going to put Memphis in the mix, and I'm going to see those guys on Saturday. Vanderbilt plays over at FedEx Forum. But they just got done hammering Virginia 77-54. They had 15 steals in that game and put together a 13-0 run in the second half and pulled away. They've also added the Kansas State transfer, Naquan Tomlin, to their roster. Uh, he got suspended at Kansas State after a bar fight in October, and so they decided he wasn't coming back. And uh, He's enrolled at Memphis. I think he had to graduate before they could uh, officially uh, put him out there. But Man, you, you figure you add a guy like that who's been through the battles of the NCAA tournament, has been a really good player. He was he was a big part of K-State's Elite Eight run last year. Man, that team looks really good to me. Yeah, I, I tell you, they've played a brutal schedule. It's It's kind of been off the radar how brutal the schedule has been for them. But they're playing really well. For me, I, I think the team with the biggest upside, and, and this is, you know, not Sherlock Holmesian deduction here, but... <laughs> I, I think it's Kentucky. I really do. When you think that Justin Edwards, Blue Ribbon's pick for newcomer of the year in the SEC, is only their seventh leading scorer, uh, it's incredible. They've just got so many freshmen who are, and this is like their 2012 uh, national championship team when they had Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Those were atypical freshmen. They were talented, sure. But they didn't really look at the box scores after the game. They didn't care. All they wanted to do was impact winning. And I think that's the case with this bunch of freshmen. Sure, they can all score. They can all shoot. I mean, look at down the line. Rob Dillingham, uh, 46% from three. Reed Shepard, 57%. Uh, You know, on and on. They can all do their thing. Uh, DJ Wagner was probably considered maybe the best freshman in the country. And, and he hasn't even contributed as much as he's going to contribute. Uh, Aaron Bradshaw has only played in three games. He's seven footer. That's going to make a big impact. So I think Kentucky is the team with the biggest upside. I just like watching them play. We had Tom Leach, uh, the radio voice of the cats on a couple of weeks ago. And he said it was very elementary. Cal told him that all their kids could dribble, pass and shoot. And you would think, well, yeah, so doesn't everybody No, everybody doesn't. <laughs> and, 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 and this, this guy, Reed Shepard, I mean, I mean, Jeff Shepard's son and his mother also played basketball at Kentucky. He got the best of both of them. His mother was a steals wizard and his father could shoot it, and he had he, he could fly for a white guy. He had big hops. And and Reed Shepard, I think, has the prettiest jump shot stroke in the country. And he's shooting 57% from three. He can also get to the rim. How many steals has he got? I'm looking it up right now. He's already got 29 steals in 10 games. So he's averaging three steals a game. Uh, and he's shooting 59% from the floor. So what that tells me is he's got such a well-rounded game. You can't close out on his jumper because he's going to go around you and dunk on you. Um, and if you don't respect his jumper, he, he makes 60% of those from three. So they just got tons of talent. And uh, to me, I, I think they're the team that, that stands the most to improve, as Coach Cal's teams generally do, with a couple of exceptions in his uh, time there have gotten better uh, as the season progressed. So 
my pick is Kentucky. Again, I know that's not, uh, you know, a great deduction, but but I just really think that it, as much as the most heralded program in this side of UCLA in, in, in history can be, uh, they've flown a little bit under the radar. And and the thing to me that's really different about that team, and you hit it right on the head, is they got guys who can shoot the three. That that's something that's really been missing for that team over the last few years is just having consistent three point shooting. Almost the whole time, Cal's been there. I mean, there a couple of teams could shoot it, uh, but but yeah, you, you'll recall that when he got there, he was a proponent of that dribble drive offense, mm-hmm. getting downhill and stuff. And then people learned how to take that away, and then you're stuck with a bunch of guys that can go downhill, but they can't shoot it. And he's finally over the years. And, and I guess, you know, it's depending on who his staff is and, and uh, they've finally gotten him a bunch of shooters and we'll see. I, there were people that thought the, the game has left him behind and, and he hasn't kept up with the times and you got to play four out one in. And some people even play five out. Um, he can do that if he wants to. And and I, I just think that they did lose to UNC Wilmington a couple of weeks ago, and it was shocking result. But yet, I think they took that, and I think they grew from it. Louisville's going to find that out tonight. Yeah, and that leads me to my next thing is it's sad to me what the Kentucky-Louisville game is at this point. And Kentucky's favored by double figures but very low attendance at the KFC Yum Center for the Cardinals, and it'll likely be filled with blue, which to me seems unthinkable When if you know about the, the history of this series. I was thinking that this is the 40th anniversary of the restart of that series in 1983. It got rekindled yep. in, in the NCAA tournament that year when they played in Knoxville in Louisville 1 in overtime. I was at that game. Yeah, it was 80-68 to 68 in overtime. I lived in Louisville then, and that was the biggest game ever. And to me, in a lot of ways in that state, probably remember remains the biggest game uh, in, in college basketball in the Commonwealth. But to see, and you know, the, the series has had its ebbs and flows over the years, and they played in, again in the tournament a couple different times. You mentioned that 2012 team. They played in the Final Four in New Orleans, and then I think they played again in 2014 in Indianapolis uh, when Kentucky made uh, an unexpected run to the championship game. But to see what it is right now, and, and it'll change. Louisville will get it back going again. It may not be with the current coaching staff, but um, no. they'll, they'll turn things around. That's too proud of a program and too much interest there for it to not be good again. But this, this game just has no buzz or energy about it. And, and it just – as someone from that state who's seen what that rivalry, rivalry is and, and still can be, uh, that, that's a little bit sad to me. Yeah, it is. And and Kenny Payne, the, the Louisville coach, is a great guy, and, and he was so good as an assistant. But he said some he says some strange things uh, that make you just wonder: Does he understand where he's at, or, or or what his position is? He he said something this week. He said Cal wants to pound me. I just want to win by one. Uh, you know, it's like you should want to pound him. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's, it's one of those things. I you want get to pound everybody, right? I get what he's yeah. saying, but but it doesn't really sound very good, and probably yeah, doesn't no, play doesn't well if you're if you're a Louisville right. fan, you know. Yeah, I mean, you should want to pound everybody. It, it's really, I mean, the teams that win the national championship, they take no prisoners. 
if you look at, at Villanova's run, uh, how well they shot the ball in their two nat- natties and and UConn. Uh, I mean, Danny Hurley barely uttered a swear word or broke a bead of sweat. They, they won by double figures in every game. There's got to be at least one white knuckler in the NCAAs. No, no, not with them because they wanted to pound people. And you just have to have that mentality. You can't be laissez-faire if you're a basketball coach because I guarantee you the, the, the team on the other side of the court, they want to pound you. Right. <laughs> I, I was... So, Yeah. I don't know. I always think those things are interesting when you look at different years and different tournaments. Like that Villanova team you mentioned, I believe it was 2018. They, they could have played that tournament 10 times and Villanova would have won all 10. And then some years you can play the tournament and you have 10 different winners if you played it 10 different times. And then probably the same thing for exactly. UConn. UConn, it was becoming pretty clear late in the season that they were the best team. And uh, they, they, right. it turned out that way with them winning the championship. Uh, a few things uh, on the conference uh, realignment front. Um, according to multiple reports, Oregon State and Washington State are close to a deal to join the West Coast Conference in multiple sports, which would include men's and women's basketball. Uh, unlike the deal they've struck in football, the results would count in the conference standings and they'd be eligible to compete for championships in the NCAA tournament. It's thought to be more of a short-term solution as those two look to rebuild the Pac-12 in some way or another. So that's something to keep an eye on out West. And Chris, a story that was, that's been breaking as we began this podcast, Florida State, their board of trustees are meeting on Friday to talk about the school's conference situation, which could result in a legal filing that some believe might be the first step in a process to potentially leave the ACC. And that would be another uh, earth-shaking conference move if Florida State and, you know, people look at Clemson too and say okay what what might be their future in that conference but it's really been stoked up by Florida State being left out of the the college football playoff with an undefeated record and there there are a lot of moving parts to that thing but that that's something to keep an eye on with uh Florida State and their future in the ACC yeah uh, you know they've talked about it for for the last couple of years you've heard things like a lot of people thought the ACC the the mighty ACC could have gone the way of the Pac-12 and splintered. Um, it just doesn't make sense for Florida State to leave. They'll leave a ton of money on the table from from the ACC networks, TV revenue, and that's kind of crazy. And really the most logical place for them to land is the SEC. But Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, has said after they had Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to stand pat. And why why would they want to add anymore it's it's, it's going to be a slugfest in that league and in, in in football and basketball so i don't know uh, florida state it's not necessarily greener on the other side of the fence the grass that is and, yeah. and i don't know i i hope cooler heads prevail there as far as the pac-12 it's going to be kind of sad oregon state and washington state are the last two standing and I'd read somewhere where they were still going to ha- fly the banner and the logo of the Pac-12. Yeah, have it on their year. fields. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and it's like, how does that even happen? You have to have at least seven teams in a league uh, to be considered for to get an automatic bid from the NCAA. And uh, neither of those programs, I don't think, are, are going to get a at-large bid. So uh, the move to play with the WCC WCC really threw them a lifeline, as did the Mountain West. It's going to be curious to see what happens, whether the Pac-12 brand 
has been so tarnished that, for example, the Mountain West, I'm told, might have wanted to do a reverse merger, go into the Pac-12 and, and adopt that name. But I don't know how much the Conference of Champions uh, name is going to be worth yeah. anymore. And, and what of Bill Walton? Where is he going to be? I, I, these are unanswered questions. I've just got to know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that to me is one of the most important questions. Going to be covering the Big Ten. Yeah, I know <laughs> the Big Ten, the, the conference of. Oh, I can't say it. Uh, on a more serious and sad note, as we talked about the ACC. Uh, the death of North Carolina great Eric Montrose was very sad to hear. He'd been un- undergoing cancer treatment since March. Uh, he died on Sunday, only 52 years old, which hits home with me because that's the same age as me. He was a great guy. He played on the 1993 National Championship team. He was first-team All-ACC and two-time second-team All-American. Uh, played eight years in the NBA. He was a radio analyst for North Carolina, did fundraising work there, and also a lot of charity work, too. I had a chance to meet Eric uh, when Belmont played at UNC back in 2013. Had a chance just to sit there and talk to him for a few minutes. We were doing the radio broadcast uh, for Belmont, and we were sitting close to those guys. And I remember even after the game was over with and Belmont won, he he took off the headset and had a kind word for me as I was I was just kind of saying bye and we were leaving uh, to go get on the bus, but he just seemed like a wonderful person and by all accounts just a great guy. Uh, I was really sad to hear that news, uh, Eric Montrose. I, I, and word had gotten out that he had cancer and wasn't doing very well, but uh, his passing on Sunday at, at 52 years old was very sad and certainly uh, all our sympathies go out to his family and friends and everybody there at North Carolina. Yeah, I wasn't fortunate enough like you to have a conversation with him, but I know that uh, I, I have several friends who are in the Carolina uh, coaching tree, and everybody just speaks speak so highly of him. I, I admired him as a player. I looked it up in, in, in my database. Um, he was a big blue ribbon. He, I'm honored that he used blue ribbon to help him in his job. Uh, he bought a book every year until this year. And uh, that made me sad when I saw that because I think he knew, uh, you know, maybe the end was near. But, yeah, I'll never forget that uh, image of him in 92 when they played Duke. He had had a cut under his eye. And it just epitomized the the rough and tumble nature of of that rivalry, which many people believe is the best in sports. yeah, it's. Uh, I read something. Uh, if if you want to find it, just Google "bloody Montrose." <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember Tyler Hansbro. He he was yeah, bloody. Same up thing. Yeah. Those. Yeah, maybe yeah. In the same game. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but uh, yeah, that that one that one hurt me. Uh, and and as I said, I only knew him uh, through mutual friends. That one hurt me because I I know he was such a good guy, and he. He did so much behind the scenes to help other people, much like Dick Vitale. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, he, he's going to be missed by everybody who knew him, who loved him, and, and even those of us who just knew him uh, secondhand. And a couple of uh, members of Vanderbilt staff where I work, uh, of course, head coach Jerry Stackhouse played at North Carolina, and, and, and Donald Williams, who's on the staff, and he was the, the most outstanding player that 1993 Final Four I asked Coach Stackhouse uh, the other day before we did our, our pregame interview, and um, he, he got pretty emotional talking about him. And they, they never actually played together in North Carolina, but he said they did play together yeah. some in the NBA. But he said, yeah. you know, when he was making his visits and making his college selection, that Eric Montrose was sort of like a big brother figure to him and, and really yeah. showed him around North Carolina.
line and what it was all about and what it all meant. And uh, I thought that, that was really interesting to hear him say that. It also got me thinking about that 93 Final Four. I mean, that was a a clash of heavyweights. When you think about the teams that were there because North Carolina beat the Fab Five in that championship game in New Orleans with the, the Chris Weber play yeah. and, and those things. And uh, Michigan had beaten Kentucky in overtime, one of the semifinals, and Carolina played Kansas in the other one. Uh, those are big-time teams in what was a, a really fun Final Four that year. Yeah, it, re- it really was. And uh, that's funny. You talked to Coach Stack about it. Uh, didn't he – he was kind of – when Eric was was visiting, kind of his host, wasn't he? Yeah, right. Kind of showed him around and and everything. And uh, but but yeah, I, I'll tell you that the ACC. Well, I know we talked about it earlier, where Florida State is thinking about leaving, and I'd heard rumors where North Carolina might want to go to the SEC and break up that Duke rivalry. I, I hope all that stuff doesn't happen. Me too. Uh, it's just brought us some of the best basketball. I actually. I went to high school in Virginia my senior year, and uh, it was there that I was introduced to Billy Packer and Jim Thacker, who co- who covered the ACC games on Saturdays. and And I just remember those games and the time. And I know we're going to talk about something similar. North Carolina beat Duke coming from uh, what was it, eight points down with 17 seconds, and this was before the three. Uh, those are those are just that was a great era of college basketball all right let's finish up our show with a remarkable comeback and an amazing individual performance st louis university's terrence hargrove scored 11 points in 28 seconds as the billikens rallied uh, to beat louisiana tech he hit a three-pointer with six seconds to tie and then hargrove hit a three to win at the buzzer uh, he had only scored two points before that stretch. It was remarkable to watch and read about it. And I, and I, saw, I went back and watched the highlights of it. He drove a whole lot of the court and then just pulled up and, and shot a three from a little off the top of the key and, and drilled it at the buzzer to win. And it was just amazing. Uh, there had been a foul committed that was maybe a little questionable. And, and I think he said he told his teammate, hey, I bailed you out. Well, I think he, he bailed out the entire Billikens program that night. 11 points in 28 seconds It's hard to do. It's incredible. He started it out with a, with an old-fashioned three-point play. He had a dunk. Got Powell made the free throw. Then he had a layup. Then he hits two three-pointers. And, of course, the second one came at the buzzer. He had only attempted one shot in the second half before going off. And this is cool. Um, La Tech, in losing, they were the first team since 2009 to finish the game without a single turnover. Wow. So they think they think, man, we've done everything we need to do to pull this victory, and then this guy Hargrove goes bananas on us. So uh, it's just one of the many reasons I love college basketball is you can see results like that and and just shake your head and just be glad. I I thank God that whatever whatever led me to, to covering this game for a living uh, pushed me that way because uh, you see stuff like this and you just think, wow, man, I get paid to watch stuff like that. <laughs> I get paid to talk about that. It's, it's awesome. 
I always think about the, the teams that are on the losing end of those things, especially if you're playing a road game and what it's like to go get on the bus after something like that happened or oh. get on a plane and go home and, and just like what, what the trip's like and what those moments are like uh, after it's over. If you're on the winning end, it's a whole lot of fun. But if you're on the losing end, man, it, you, you certainly feel it uh, on a game like that. But that was a, a pretty amazing finish in that game uh, over at Chaffetz Arena in St. Louis the other night. Well, Chris, uh, this is our last show for 2023. Uh, here's to uh, an outstanding 2024 ahead. And as we let off the show, one of the things we talked about was your selection to the U.S. Basketball Writers Association Hall of Fame. Now, my wife Amy suggested that you know maybe it's like maybe you and and Chris and Patty should road trip this thing. You you should drive them out there to Arizona for the uh, <laughs> for the induction ceremony in the Final Four. I was like, uh, let me think about that one, and uh, we'll see we'll see if we can put that together. That would be quite the uh, cross country road trip uh, if we made that trip. You know, uh, we actually talked about that, and then we looked it up. It's seventeen hundred miles, and, <laughs> and I said, you know, everybody. I'm sure that listens to our podcast know that I, I was on a plane crash years ago and not the best flyer, but I, I told Patty, I said, we flying, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to drive to Nashville. We're going to get a long-term parking. We're going to meet Kevin there. And, and, and the three of us are going to fly. We're, we're not driving, bro. All right. Well, well and you t- certainly, Amy was gracious to say that. And you had immediately talked about coming out. I wouldn't expect you to do that, man. I, oh, it would uh, be, it would be but, fantastic. I really hope it works out because I'd love to be there. I would love for you to be there. Chris, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year to uh, all our listeners. Uh, whichever holidays you celebrate, hope they are the best for you and your family. And I uh, really appreciate everyone listening to our podcast. And uh, we'll be back in early 2024 to get things cranked back up. We'll be in a conference play by the next time we do all this. But, uh, Chris, enjoy the holiday season. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, buddy. Happy holidays, everybody. He's Chris George. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.